0: Hey, did you know it's almost time for Wartstock? Join us at Warner Park on Sunday, May 21st from 11 to 7. We'll have a wide variety of live music with headliner Ugochi. We'll also have food and craft vendors, an arts activity area, and plenty of space in beautiful Warner Park. Find out more at WORTFM.org. I'll see you there. the trap
1: where they went you wait. for this rich mind and
0: Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to
1: another mental level. Low no power frequency, radio modulation. The big sound from underground. We bring the truth to places truth is never heard before. We bring the sound communication... Hello, everybody, and welcome to A Public Affair. It's Wednesday, so that means you've got me. I'm Carousel Baird. And I want to remind you, you are listening to A Public Affair on WORT 89.9 FM, Madison. Your volunteer-powered listener-spoken sponsored community radio we have a fabulous show lined up today i was talking with our first guest uh, right before the show started to confess that i have been thinking about this show for a handful of months because in march of 2023 just a couple of months ago the state of utah passed a bill the first of its kind in the nation that um with the goal to keep youth safe When they interact on social media, that put a handful of regulations and restrictions on um, when youth, individuals under. Uh, 18 years of age can and how they can use social media and a bill very similar perhaps identical we'll find out more um, to the Utah legislation has just been introduced here in Wisconsin and we have the sponsor of the legislation joining us today for the first uh, 15 minutes of the show it is Wisconsin State Representative David Steffen. hello Representative how are you
0: Good afternoon. Thank you for having me on the show.
1: Thank you so much for joining us. And just a little bit about uh, State Representative David Steffen. He's been in the Assembly since 2014, representing the wonderful city of Green Bay. And uh, you previously served on the Brown County Board of Supervisors and the Village of Howard Board. So thank you for all of your service. And thank you. Tell us a little bit about this law and what made you want to introduce it.
0: Well, last fall, uh, as I was doing a lot of campaigning and talking to parents in particular, there was no higher profile uh, kitchen table issue than mental health of their children. And, and, and certainly COVID had a, a big part of that in the interactions of that. But there was a, a pronounced attention on this issue. And as I began to do research on some of the causes, because we we sometimes uh, don't deal enough on on understanding the the sources of this, is that social media has been directly linked uh, to advanced chronic levels of depression, anxiety, and self-harm, especially among teenage girls. And uh, so as I became... Uh, aware and involved in the research element of it, I became incredibly interested interested in developing some legislation. And then, as you had just mentioned, um, the, uh, the state of Utah came out with uh, and passed in a bipartisan fashion legislation that uh, addressed and provided some guardrails and a parental empowerment, and uh, that provided a blueprint for me. Uh, now, certainly since that was uh, passed in Utah, I have learned some of the things, uh, some of the problems that they ran into in Utah and have been able to focus on the positive parts of their legislation and, and take out some of the elements that were mm. uh, from a First Amendment perspective. So it's been a uh, almost a nine-month process, but again, it, it's all about protecting our kids to the greatest extent possible and empowering parents during this during this process,
1: I mean, I really just appreciate the clearly um, important issue that you're dealing with. I have uh, a 13 year old and a 17 year old that both the 17 year old has social media, the 13 year old begrudgingly just got snapchat and it's really confusing and there's such there's such a generation gap and i mean i mean that in in you know with no derogatory aspect to it but there was no such thing as social media when i was a kid i really cannot fully understand what they're doing and it creates this huge level of fear did you hear that when you were talking to parents of just this disconnect and concern for a system that we really don't understand
0: Well, not only a system we don't understand, but where parents feel a bit helpless. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're not sure what to do other than not allowing their child to have a phone. But there has been a a very uh, straightforward communication to me that parents feel like they don't have a shot of, of protecting their kids from the harmful elements of social media. The average teenager between the ages of 13 and 18 years old spends on average nine hours a day online most of that on social media nine hours a day and so it's a tremendous amount of marinating in online content and much of it uh, has uh, negative influences. now there are positive impacts of social media it's been excellent for sharing within educational programs connecting and celebrating and bringing people together and that's been positive but there is a tremendous amount of negative content relating Mm to a toxic body image relating to bullying relating to drug trafficking and sex trafficking all of which uh, exist and so uh, what I'm hopeful to do is provide some reasonable guardrails so that parents are empowered and we have some chance of protecting our kids from the harmful impacts of social media
1: so representative tell us what your bill proposes to do
0: yes so I want people to think of this almost like when you get your computer, your phone, your TV, and it has a series of default settings. Every new or newer account will be preset to a what I call a child safe mode, which is it'll be preset so that uh, there is an overnight curfew, so between 10 p.m. and 7 a.m., no access for individuals under the age of 18. It will also prevent direct messaging from strangers. So those that are outside of their approved uh, group of contacts, friends, family, uh, would not be able to do direct messaging to the individual. And the third thing is to provide uh, uh, controls on the AI-driven aggressive advertising. Those are the three major tenets of the bill. Again, they are preset. And the only way to turn those presets off is if they go through an age verification, an age estimation process uh, that then confirms that they are uh, of the age of 18 or their parent has authorized them to have this expanded access.
1: So do the parents have, I think about these things and I think about, okay, my daughter sometimes wakes up at six in the morning and needs to communicate with her friends who's driving to the swim, swim meet and things like that. So would there be a way to change or override some of these limitations on exception by parents?
0: Absolutely. That is the goal is so that uh, the child won't have the ability to switch on and off those factors. But let's say there are that situation where they say, you know what, Uh, you know, Sally needs to communicate with her friends to go to early morning swim practices, and that starts at 6 Mm a.m. The parent, and only the parent, uh, would have the ability to dial that to the adjusted time or turn it off entirely. Now, I don't think there's going to be a lot of parents who are going to say, yes, I want my teenage kids to be on uh, social media at two in the morning. But if they do, they will have that opportunity. So imagine a series of Uh, setting switches and dials where you can adjust those things, adjust the the curfew, adjust uh, the amount of advertising, and and adjust uh, contact from strangers. The parents will still be in charge, but at the end of the day, the default setting for all new and newer social media accounts will be those three factors will be addressed. The overnight curfew, the no direct messaging from uh, strangers, and a reduced advertising uh, programming for those individuals.
1: So what responses have you gotten, Representative, um, on the PRO and perhaps uh, uh, people that aren't in support of your legislation? What have you heard uh, since you've introduced this?
0: Oh, great question. So the, the biggest concern from you, those who want to be supportive is, hey, are we making sure we're not stepping on any First Amendment rights mm-hmm. as a part of that's been a big part of it. And this is a core part. There is no impact on content. We are not making a decision on what is good content or bad content. All we are doing is putting a time frame of access of content in place and then some parental controls. So uh, I've worked with First Amendment litigators and attorneys to ensure that it is First Amendment compliant. Uh, So I've addressed that issue. Um, but I'll say the biggest pushback, as you can imagine, has been from the social media companies. Mm. They need our kids to be on social media as long as possible to maximize their value on the monetizing of their of their use. And so, uh, right. so the social media companies will be throwing out and have been already throwing out a lot of things. Well, you know, we are too big for you, Wisconsin, to deal with, uh, you know, don't get in the way of what we're doing the first amendment allows us to do whatever we want and so i am very much looking forward to having these uh debates and discussions (laughs) with social media companies Say, you know no parents do have rights uh and the first amendment does provide opportunities for some limited controls with minors
1: and Representative, I know what I had heard about the Utah bill included allowing parents access to the content of what was on the youth's social media. Is that part of your bill?
0: It is. So okay. parents will have, uh, <clears throat> parents will have uh, the opportunity to have full access to their child's account, all viewing of what is occurring now. There's a lot of parents who are going to say, I'm going to I'm going to give my child that privacy if they need it. But the reality is, is that there are many parents who are concerned about who their children are interacting with, especially when they start uh, noticing elements of anxiety, depression, self-harm. They want to find out, you know, is possibly there's some interactions that are happening online. I'll give you a great example. So one of the parents that told me about that one of their, their 14-year-old son was starting to go through some advanced oppression, uh, advanced uh, self-harm, and what they found out is that he was being groomed and solicited by a 50-year-old man down in Florida, and they didn't even know about it until after a bus ticket, a one-way bus ticket, arrived at their house. And so these things are happening on a regular basis um, on social media, and we have to provide, I believe, parents some possibility of, of of control, some possibility of intervent, intervention that does not exist right now. So again, this is a First Amendment compliant opportunity for empowering parents to, for the first time ever, uh, have some uh, controls over what their kids are interacting with online and the times that they're doing it.
1: Representative, in our, our final moments here with you, what are the next steps and if how can people get involved and sort of follow this bill along the process?
0: Well, first of all, uh, anyone can go to uh, my own personal uh, webpage. Uh, as you mentioned, on the state representative, so through the government website. And I'd also encourage all listeners to reach out to your own state representatives, your own state senators, and ask them questions about how they feel about it. Is this something they would consider signing on? And, and also, above all, one of the things I made incredibly clear is I want this to be a Wisconsin bill, not Utah's bill. Mm-hmm. So I uh, have dedicated the next month to receiving input from schools, uh, psychiatrists, psychologists, uh, individuals, other legislators to make this bill something that is Wisconsin-specific, Wisconsin-crafted. So I want input from parents. I want input from your listeners. And I want them to engage their state legislators, provide their thoughts on whether they think it's a good idea, bad idea, or how we can make it better.
1: And inputs from students sometimes as well. I mean, I feel like my kids have a lot to teach me about things. And, and once I learn more from them, it helps me make a better parental
0: decision. And you brought up a great point. In fact, this is one of the things that really made me think that I need to get involved with this. It is students. It is children who believe who are uh, have actually been communicating. There's been a lot of polling on this that have said that they want the government, they want social media to get engaged and make this a more safe product, a more Mm -hmm. safe platform for interaction. So even our kids recognize that, hey, you know, while I am marinating in this for nine hours a day, I know this isn't healthy. Um, They are aware that there's problems and there's probably a way for government to get engaged and provide some guardrails. And so that's what I'm trying to do uh, for the state of Wisconsin and its children.
1: Well, it's been wonderful talking with you. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to talk to us about what you've introduced and what the next steps look like. We really appreciate
0: it. Thank you so much for having me today. Very that much appreciated.
1: Wonderful to have you. That was Wisconsin State Representative David Steffen um, talking about a bill that he has recently introduced in the Wisconsin State Legislature to regulate and put limits. Guardrails was his word, I think, perfect word of describing the work that he's doing um, to um, put guardrails on social media and youth's access to it. Um, All right. Well, we are going to continue our conversation. Our second guest for the hour is actually someone that once we realized we booked her, we realized we needed to have, have had her on our show for so long. So glad that we are finally getting her. It is Dr. Megan Marino. Hello, Megan.
2: How are you doing? Doing great. Glad to be here.
1: It's wonderful to have you. Let me tell everyone a little bit about you. You are the interim chair at the uh, Department of Pediatrics School of Medicine and Public Health here at UW Madison. Um, and you're the co medical director of the American Academy on P- of Pediatrics Center for Excellence on Social Media and Youth Mental Health. And I'll say one more you run the Social Media and Adolescent Health Research Team here at UW. So, um, Absolutely the expert that we need. So glad that you're here to join us. I feel like there's there's so much to talk about. Do you want to first sort of comment on the the bill that's being proposed? How does this compare to other legislation that has been proposed throughout the countries? And I know there's legislation also in Europe, I was reading about things in UK. And where does this fit in line with what we're seeing politically?
2: Sure, that's a great place to start. I think that uh, I, I think that from the get-go, it's really important to recognize and acknowledge that it is wonderful to have engagement with uh, representatives at the state level on these issues. It's a really important issue for our kids and having dialogue and having engagement is is really important and I'm really glad that we're having that. I think one of the things that I think about when I think about the role that government can play is uh, thinking about another metaphor or another situation where it was really beneficial to have government input to keep kids safe. and that if we think about uh, the automobile industry. Mm-hmm. So automobiles are one of the major causes of morbidity and mortality for our teens. It's been like that for probably 20, 30 years. But overall, the safety has been so improved with the engagement of folks in government. And what that engagement has been, has been creating rules and regulations around making that product safer rather than regulating the parent-child relationship or parents' <laughs> decision-making about whether or not their kids drive. And I think that that's a really important metaphor when we think about these bills. And what makes me uneasy about the the bill that's being proposed is it, it's really proposing to regulate the parent-child relationship rather than trying to make the product safer.
1: That's really interesting because I I was thinking as we're hearing about um, the proposals that there's so many there there are well maybe so many is the wrong word there are things that you can do now as a parent to regulate to limit um right uh, our daughters that who have already mentioned who have access to social media and it's changed they are a 13 year old and a 17 year old two really different worlds um but They have a limit on how many hours they can spend on social media. And if they want more, there's a bing that either my husband or I have to affirmatively respond to, affirmatively say yes, and affirmatively say, and how much more? Ten more minutes so they can finish what they're doing. Another hour so they can have fun the whole day because they're somewhere else. So we instituted that. And boy, I shouldn't say we my husband, uh, who understands this better. I supported him doing that. But boy, am I techno clueless. Um, But we as a family decided to do this. Are there regulations like that that already exist from the social media platforms?
2: So there are resources that already exist, just as mm-hmm. you mentioned. So there's different types of tech-based solutions to do monitoring and um, capturing of uh, set limit setting. There are resources. Each of the social media platforms have a parent and family resource page. Um, and I think actually the some of the best resources are uh, the Common Sense Media, which is a nonprofit hmm. that has an entire curriculum that parents can work through and can work through with their kids and addresses limit setting and kind of has a social media driver's license program where kids can uh, go through a training period before starting social media And then at the American Academy of Pediatrics, we have what's called a family media plan where families can uh, go into that plan and read evidence and read information about different types of rules or guidelines or ways they might wanna structure it for their family.
1: Okay, so let's take a step back then, but get this legislation off the table and sort of start at the beginning, maybe a little bit of what is the impact of social media. It's so hard to tell without looking at the evidence of, oh my God, this is what's driving our children to depression. No, it's really society that's driving to the children of depression. Even though all of us, right, may, may I would think everyone can remember a time when they were a kid and their parents thought something was crazy and you as the kid were like, you have no idea what you're talking about. It's not crazy at all. Um, I certainly remember that as a child, and try and, and I recall that when I say to my kids, Why do you need Snapchat? Why is this important? I, f- I can hear the echoes of my childhood when I ask those questions.
2: Yes, yes. I think this is definitely a situation where the narrative has gone so far beyond the evidence we have for that narrative. Okay. And I, I think there's two parts to that question there's what is the impact of that narrative? and how much does or doesn't that narrative actually support families? And the other question is, what is the evidence behind that narrative? So the the evidence behind it, I think, um, is is not as strong as the narrative would have you think. So, mm-hmm. we know that the vast majority of teens engage in some type of social media, and we also know that they engage in very different ways on very different platforms. So, the idea that there's you know a single experience for them, or a singular risk, or a singular benefit is a a little bit of, I think, a false narrative, because every kid is interacting in different ways and to different degrees. It's not even just whether or not they have social media. It's, you know, how much are they using it and really engaging with it. What I can say about the evidence is in some of the largest, best-done studies, they've found that the impact on an average kid of interacting with social media on their mental health is relatively similar to the impact of how many potatoes you eat. So if you Google potato social media study, you'll get a more thorough discussion of that. Yes, there's an effect, but the effect is so tiny at the population level that we probably are talking about it more than we should be at the population level.
1: Interesting. So it's more perhaps an individual issue, just like everything. And Maybe it's it's similar to the to go back to the car parallel that we're thinking, oh, my God, my kid's going to die in an accident. and, And we're sort of focusing on that when really there's there's a lot more happening. To it.
2: Absolutely. That. Absolutely. And I think that uh, one the important thing is, is I don't want to diminish that there's kids out there that have had horrific experiences. I see them in clinic. Um, I care for them. I hear stories like the story Representative Stefan shared that exists. It does. But there's also kids kids out there who say, you know, my life would have been over if not for social media. It's the place I found a supportive environment. It's how I found connection to people when my grandma died and I was so depressed. So there's extremes on both sides, but for the majority of teens, it's a tool they, they use to navigate their days and their, their social situations.
1: We're talking right now with Dr. Megan Marino about social media and its impact on adolescents and youth. If you'd like to join the conversation, we would love to hear from you. You can give us a call at area code 608-256-2001, extension 9. We have Mary Jo answering the phone. We have Jade and Jay in the studio. We would love to take your calls. They can patch you onto the air so you can join the conversation with me and Megan Um, Or you can uh, send a message uh, through them uh, to pass on to us. The number again is area code 608-256-2001 extension 9. Okay, I want to break it down a little bit. Um, Okay, Megan, can you tell us what some of the studies have shown? Are we seeing more depression and anxiety because of social media? Or is that just a factor that is part of the many things that have are creating the increase in depression and anxiety?
2: That's such a great question, because it is the case that we have seen a rise in depression and anxiety from uh, among adolescents over the past decade or so, and even more starkly in the past three or four years with the pandemic. So I think what's really important is to think about, if we want to think about the role of social media, we can think about the that um, as a platform you know a series of platforms I think another important thing to think about is is social media as what we would call a confounding variable meaning that social media is the way that teenagers learn about worries about climate change about political strife about um an attempted insurrection in our federal government, about rights being taken away from them, about, um, you know, really divisive political language that for many teens is really scary. And it's also how they learn about school shootings. So the things that they're seeing on social media are their avenue to understand what's happening in the offline world. And we can't discount that that's probably having a major factor in their mental health as well. Just the the times we are living in.
1: But it's almost like to not have social media doesn't change the times that we're living in and almost stops them from knowing what's going on at that moment, but they'll learn later and then they don't experience it with their peers. That's where sort of the pros and cons feel. I remember this story. We, um, I'll tell a quick story. My daughter wanted Instagram and I said, yeah, no, no, no. And I said, okay, second semester, eighth grade, you can get Instagram, and I'm gonna be on Instagram too, and I'm gonna see everything. And she went on Instagram, and um, within about 48 hours, she had about a hundred. friends following her and I said how how did all those people follow you that fast she said no I told you everyone's on Instagram but me and I said yeah kids say things like that all the time my all my friends can do this how can I and I'm like well you weren't kidding she's like no everyone was there but me everyone was having these conversations everyone was part of something but me and it was a really interesting lesson for me of my fear and lack of understanding of social media. her life is great everything's fine but we really were seemed to be the last parents to the table and this was a great my daughter loved being on Instagram and having being able to share photos and all the fun things that she was sort of missing out and that's part of her part of the social life in middle school that she didn't get to be a part of until I finally let her on
2: yeah, I, I think it is so important to think about how multi-dimensional that tool is. I mean, in some ways it is like the daily news for teens, not just their news amongst each other, but that's where they're passing on local news and school based news and um, th- there's so many functionalities of it. it, it's really difficult to talk about it as a monolithic thing anymore. Mm-hmm. It's it's a communication tool. It's a content creation tool. Some kids don't share any content. They're just there to absorb and learn. And so it, it's really challenging, I think, for those of us as adults who didn't grow up with it to understand it's you know it's uh, you know i had one patient say to me one time it's it's like life it's everything it's good it's bad it's scary it's funny you know it's just a microcosm or a reflection of offline life
1: so is the thought that what's causing more depression and anxiety is social media it's almost like blaming the messenger they're
2: part of the vehicle I think that that is a sentiment that I've heard in many places is that we're focusing on the wrong thing. We're focusing on the way that kids learn about how messed up the world is right now and, Mm. you know, blaming, but that's also how teens are seeking support and dealing with how, you know, scary and messed up the world can feel to a teen. So if we cut off one, we might be cutting off the other.
1: What about the conversations about sexual predators and, um, uh, child trafficking it's so hard to tell how sensational those stories are if they're accurate if they're reasonable to to expect that that could happen to your child but that certainly is such a horrible horrible thing to happen it it makes you resistant to move forward which i think is is a fault to have a trigger response to that but it's it's a good adult to have a trigger response to that
2: how how it much is. is
1: that yeah
2: It is, and I think that that fortunately these are risks that are still relatively rare when we think about teens. And so I think that an avenue for us to think about for some of those really extreme and scary possibilities is really doing more to provide resources and education to teens and their families to be able to avoid those risks. It reminds me a little bit of the conversation that that was had at the national level around 15 years ago when people started talking about cyberbullying. And people said, oh my gosh, you know, this is going to be, everybody's going to be doing it. There's going to be anonymous bullies. It's to be totally different than anything we've ever seen. And now 15 years later, we recognize it's an issue, but in nine cases out of 10, if a teen is experiencing cyberbullying, they're also experiencing it offline, and it's usually someone that they know. So it doesn't look that different from offline bullying as we thought. So I think it's another case where we're not sure what this looks like. So it feels really big and scary, but we need more evidence to understand how how common an issue it is for teens. And,
1: you know, I touched a little bit about the fact that all teens are, are not the same, right? A 10-year-old in social media and a 16 and 17-year-old. Um, not, not to say that 16 and 17-year-olds should be treated as, you know, full-fledged adults, but that what, what is the thought and what do you learn at the studies that you do of the difference between different ages compared to these bills that say anyone under 18 is treated the same?
2: yes yes i think that's worrisome as well because we know that the adolescent developmental time period which the world health develop the world health organization defines as ages 10 through 25 Mm -hmm. is the full developmental period for adolescents and we know that during that time there's so many changes happening for teens and Uh, that not every teen goes through it at the same pace. So I think having an understanding, and again, I think this gets at empowering parents who know their kids and know where their kids are to be able to make some of these decisions. One tool that the American Academy of Pediatrics was part of building was a um, smartphone ready quiz that is meant to get at where is your kid developmentally? Is your a kid, one of the kids who loses 12 pairs of mittens Every, every winter if so that's okay but that probably need, means you need to be ready to buy some new smartphones when your kid loses it. Is your kid someone who can handle emotional distress if they're not ready for that yet they might not be ready for a smartphone. So I think there's tools that um, give parents that agency to, to help support their decisions rather than lumping adolescents into one monolithic group.
1: I wanted to get your thoughts on the idea of allowing ac- parents access, unfettered access, to everything their children do on social media. An article that I was reading um, paralleled it to reading your child's diary. I'm not sure I completely agree with that. I think that there can be parallels, but I, I don't entirely know how I feel about this. What what? What do we know and understand about that?
2: Ah, that's such a great question. I think that there are situations where that sort of scenario is really important for monitoring and for safety. I think there's a lot of other situations where that type of full transparency is not a great use of the parent and the child's time. Hmm. you know, it's not the issue. Maybe it's not the issue of the content the kid is posting or interacting with. It's an issue of screen time. So in that case, that rule of full transparency is not a great use of the parent's time. I mean, what parent wants to be digging through every single piece of their kid's online data, right? So I think it's an example of a rule that for some families may be a lifesaver. For others families, it's a misdirected use of time. But I do think the role of parents is so important and that is a place where we're seeing some really interesting evidence about the parents role in this rise in social media and one really interesting piece of it is we have been talking a lot about the dangers and the risks and the perceived danger narrative around teens in social media but we live in a world where 75% of adults use social media right. so we need to be thinking about what role they play and what they're role modeling to their kids. And what the evidence is starting to show is that it might not be the amount of time a teen spends on social media. It might be partly the amount of time their parents spends on social media because that's time that the parent is not interacting with that kid.
1: That's so interesting. I remember reading stories about, Hey, try to have family dinner and no one bring their phones. Um, And or when you go on vacation, spend a whole day where no one looks at their phone. Impossible. Impossible. And if you try it for a moment, you realize how you as a parent and you as an adult use social media. And that's where it's sort of confusing. It's a little condescending of like do is, you know, a little. I also understand that, right? We do have regulations of you can't use alcohol. You can't use, um, you can't smoke a cigarette. Um, we also know those rules are disregarded. Um, but and I'm happy to say that this so far is not like a you can't you use alcohol. Have you seen bills like that that go that far that have this level of condescension of we can use it but no absolutely not just ban anyone under 18 from using social media.
2: I think that there have been some bills that have been talked about with that. I haven't seen any of them move forward. I think the other thing that I worry about with some of the bills that impose strict age limits is that there's an absolutely gigantic privacy risk on how that would be reinforced, Mm. right? I mean, can you imagine, you know, a 13-year-old, what ID do they have? They would probably have a birth certificate or a social security card. Is that something, as a parent, you want to have uploaded to a social media platform to provide your kid access? I, I think the enforcement of some of even the laws that say age limits is that it introduces a a very, very large privacy risk to who's going to be scanning and saving and looking at those documents.
1: Versus just taking the youth's word when they say, hey, how old are you? And you say, yes, I was born in this year. I'm old enough to be on this platform. But then
2: there's no documented proof. Right. And but that's, again, I think a place where we could do more to empower parents rather than regulating parents. We could do more to empower parents to have those conversations about, you know, what what age is right for you to be on this platform. Um, Let's talk about what platforms you want to be on. Let's talk about our family rules and guidelines. Let's talk about the platforms the parents are on and make it more of an ongoing open communication i think is more of a path to have more transparency in the in that decision making process and for parents to role model that to teens
1: we're talking right now with dr megan marino about the impact of social media on uh, youth and adolescents. If you want to join the conversation, wh- what is your experience um, interacting with your child and uh, their use of social media? We'd love to hear you from you at area code 608-256-2001 extension nine. You know, what's missing from this conversation so far. And what I pointed out a little bit with a representative is what do the youth think? I can only, I can I actually have, I have talked about this, so I know exactly what both of my daughters would say to this, but have we,
2: these studies, have they talked to to children? Yes, that's a great question. There have been some studies out there that get input from youth. Um, one of my favorite studies that my team did was we worked with um, preteens and asked them to give us tips on what's the right age for a teen to get a smartphone. And I mean, you'd be amazed at how incredibly thoughtful they were on what sort of things a teen should be able to do before they're allowed to have their own smartphone. So I do think going to youth and getting their input, this is a world they're immersed in. They have really great thoughts on ways to self-regulate and to support each other. Um, I think that we could learn a lot more from engaging in teens on this topic. Most of the best rules and guidelines I've heard for things like creating a family dinner with no phones, all of those ideas always come from the teens, never from us as parents.
1: And have teens really been vocal about the benefits of social media? I, I'm concerned that that gets lost in these conversations where we're only talking about the negatives, as absolutely we should be talking about. But the as as you mentioned at the beginning, connecting with communities when you're dealing with a challenge that your family sometimes isn't best equipped to deal with.
2: I think that's a really great point. And I think that comes back to some of the dangers of the current narrative and that the narrative is very focused on the idea of universal risk. It's very focused on the idea that there's a causal relationship between social media and mental health, whereas that relationship does not exist. And what we've seen from that narrative is that it's really instilled a sense of shame and embarrassment with teens when they talk mm-hmm. about their social media use. So, for example, if I ask a teen in clinic, you know, what do you like to do on your phone? What do you like to do with your time? Often we'll hear something like, "Oh, I know it's really bad that I do this, but I love TikTok dances," or "Oh my gosh, I'm so addicted, but you know I really like um, Instagram Reels of funny cats." So this sense that they're doing something that they shouldn't be, and I think that that mm-hmm. that nar- that narrative of shame and embarrassment for what they're doing it it's not helpful to them. It doesn't help them develop their own agency and be able to navigate pros and cons and how they want to spend their time when they're being told that they're addicted and that they should feel bad. Well, and if
1: you don't differentiate between the things that maybe you shouldn't do all the time, but they bring me joy. It's fun to watch, you know, the reels of the cat. It's fun to go on here and do all this. And if we put that in the same category as Cyberbullying—it's all bad, 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 bad. Then we're not allowing kids to differentiate and see the pros and cons of everything in life. I mean, the story of everything is—you know—bad guys, bad people, bad everything. They're not evil 24/7. Everything has these shades of gray, and maybe we're not letting our children learn the things that they need to learn to develop that understanding of the world.
2: I agree. I agree. And I think that we also know that this narrative of shame and addiction, it really locates the nidus of the problem in the kid, that it's a failure and a problem of that kid, that they like this type of entertainment. And it doesn't really it doesn't take into account their context. It doesn't take into account some of these platforms are designed to hook them in. So I think it really just strips them of the ability to feel strong and confident and able to set their phone down.
1: Well, and I like that last part of some of the right. It's hard for adults to resist. I have struggled. I think every adult has with, you know, God, I need to take a break from this. It is Making me, you know, fear missing out, kind of thing, and to acknowledge the checks and balances—that's something that, again, we're not allowing our youth to do.
2: Right. So, right when they're watching their parents do it.
1: (laughs) Right. Right. So, Megan, what do you recommend? What's the next step then? If it's if it's not really about legislation, uh, limiting youth. What, what can we do and what does the you know American Academy of Pediat- Pediatrics recommend parents do?
2: And I, I should share, I think there is a role for legislation. I think we just want to be careful with legislation of the parent-child relationship. So I think there's a role there. I think that there's pressure that can be put on some of the platforms to be transparent about some of their design elements that are meant to foster repeated views, repeated ongoing um, engagement. I think there's work that could be done around the algorithms within the tech platforms so that they can help kids to reset when they get into a spiral or get into a rabbit hole on an algorithm. There's things that could be done and I think that having strong legislative partners on trying to nudge the platforms in those directions, those would help. But in terms of what can a family do at when they all get home at the end of the day and everybody's got their phone out, I think that some of the tools I really like, as I mentioned, are the American Academy of Pediatrics Media Use Plan, Family Media Use Plan, and really making that a family plan where... Um, what I hear from my patients after they've made a family media plan is the people most likely to break the rules of the family media plan are usually the parents. <laughs> so, having parents aware of that role modeling and and uh, creating rules that everybody can follow.
1: Have you seen a desire, maybe even on a federal level, to have some regulation um, regarding right advertising regarding contacts from from strangers? And to sort of put some limit on social media when it deals with youth.
2: Yes, I have seen discussions, so the one of the major advertising rules, the COPA rule that gets at prohibition of advertising and collecting data from minors, some of those are being revisited and looked at to make even stronger. Some of the work around that is getting a little bit lost in the noise of these pop-up laws that are emerging in different places, mm-hmm. um, but I think coming back to some of the places where we know we can successfully regulate the platforms and the businesses, I think that's a great role for government representatives to be in and it would be interesting
1: to see if we can get these levels of change from the platforms that they're not just a change that is for 17 year olds and younger right as we talk about up to 25 years is still considered adolescence did I remember that number right 25 years and even beyond that sometimes you just you want to have limits on what you do as an adult. Is is all of the conversation right now just about zero to 17-year-olds, or is it beyond that?
2: I don't think we're beyond this focus on the teen mental health crisis. And I think, again, it's important to focus on the teen mental health crisis. That's real. That increase in uh, diagnoses of depression, anxiety, all of that is real, and that's really important. But I think in a way, social media and tech is a very separate conversation. And that's a conversation about how do we optimize our narrative about how we talk about this? And how do we talk about people as a group rather than just teens? I think mm-hmm. So I think those are separate, but both really important conversations to have.
1: So maybe pivoting a little, the conversation about the youth mental health crisis, what, what should society be focusing on? Maybe that's right uh, hours hour long question that i'm throwing to you at our moment here our uh, final minutes here but other things besides social media that really should be front and center
2: i think a really important part of the current time and thinking about where we've been with covid and where we've been with discussions around social media is really thinking about social connectedness for teens So teens have lost ground in this area from quarantine, from missing out on different milestones and connections to people that traditionally have been great at giving teen support, folks like educators and camp counselors and folks in the community and extended family. Mm -hmm. And so I think finding ways to rebuild those areas of social connection is one area that we could be working on as we move into this particular next phase of the pandemic.
1: What do you think will happen next with legislation? I I mean, you can't predict specifically here in Wisconsin, but do you see legislation like this popping up across the country? Um, Or is, is there more of a pause to let the federal government try and create something?
2: It's a great question. At the federal level, I know that this is a really huge priority for the Surgeon General, and the Surgeon General has been very thoughtful in how he's approaching this and has had meetings and collaboration with our folks in the Center of Excellence on Social Media and Youth Mental Health. So I think that there's a lot of thought and thoughtful progress being made in that way. But as we all know, that's not going to move probably very quickly. At the same time, I think at the state level, we're seeing what we saw, what we're seeing here where states wanna have their own branded social media law. Mm -hmm. And there's a little bit of an element, it feels like of almost growing competition on, you know, whose law is gonna pop up first and what unique spin will they take on it. And I think what's really important to think about is again, what's being regulated? Is it the parent-child relationship or is it really directing towards more safety features of the platform? And then is the law going to solve the problem it was intended to solve? So one thing that really stood out to me from Representative Stephan's comments is the idea that parents feel powerless to help. So to me, that's a problem we can work on and we can solve. That's something we're trying to do with the Center of Excellence. We actually have a question portal where parents can submit questions and we will provide answers and resources. But I think that an answer to families feeling powerless is probably not taking the power away from them by legislating when their kids can and can't be on social media.
1: It's part of a conversation of how do we empower parents then and educate parents. I don't remember where perhaps it happened and it was just had such a small impact on me that I don't remember it. Conversations about social media of details about what it is and my pediatricians um, geared towards me. I, I mean, I bet they would ask me questions about that, but nothing that is memorable or that I felt were tools that could help me know more than, okay, you just can't do it, or okay, fine, I'll let you on. No sort of middle ground. Yes, and
2: it's it's such a, big part of teens lives i think there are many folks who work with kids that are all looking at each other saying whose job is this mm. is it is it pediatricians is it family medicine is it nurses is it teachers is it principals i think it's it's one of the scenarios where everybody has a stake but nobody totally owns it and so I think that's one reason why within the AAP in, this, in our center of excellence, we're really trying to go beyond just trying to reach pediatricians, to try to engage with educators and folks who run 4-H programs and boys and girls clubs and saying, if you have a stake in this, you know here's a place where we wanna have a convening and be able to put forward our own resources as well as point people towards great resources that your group may have also created.
1: I mean, I think that's a great solution. The answer is we need parent education on this, not just, I mean, I think I understand Representative Stefan's point of parents want to be empowered. They do want to be empowered. Let's make sure we give them the right tools. Maybe the right tool is actually education and answering all these questions because It's okay that we're clueless. I can't know about social media. It wasn't a part of my life. No problem. There's no embarrassment in having no idea how this works. It's, well, then the solution isn't okay, then no. The solution is I need to learn more and be the best parent
2: that I can. I totally agree. And I think one way that I've heard it framed that I really like is it's as though if you grew up never playing soccer and your kid became an ardent soccer player, you are never going to understand all the levels that they are going to understand that game. But you're going to need to know enough to show up on the sidelines and know when to cheer and when to yell and when to clap. And so I, I think it's being able to give parents the amount of education that they need to navigate that environment and give good parental advice and rules. But parents don't have to be tech experts.
1: In our final minute here, can you remind us where can parents get access to some of the information we've been talking about? Are there websites or places that they can Google by going on social media?
2: You bet. You bet. So I I think an easy Google is the AAP family media plan. That's a really easy one and take you right to the site. And then we also um, within the center of excellence on social media and youth mental health there, if you Google that, you will get to a portal that will allow you to submit a question if you'd like to.
1: Fantastic. It's been so wonderful and enlightening talking with you. Thank you so much for joining us today, Megan. Thank
2: you. It's been a pleasure.
1: It's wonderful talking with you that again with Dr. Megan Marino. She's the co-director of the American Academy of Pediatrics Center of Excellence on Social Media and Youth Mental Health. She's the interim chair at the Department of Pediatrics here at UW-Madison. We're so lucky to have the national one of the national experts here in Madison. It's been great talking uh, with you, Megan. And uh Huge thank you as well to Wisconsin State Representative Dave and for kicking off our show at the top of the hour. Thanks, everyone, uh, Jade, for pulling together the show. Thanks, everyone, for listening. You're listening to WORT 89.9 FM Madison, and we'll see you again next week.
2: Pre-recorded with information that would never be
1: reported Disregard the mainstream media distorted We come and listen and supported Living the direct, we come and never pre-recorded With information that would never be reported Disregard the mainstream, media distorted, we come and listen and supported